The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, I'm Tim Borum and welcome to another edition of HealthKick and it's guaranteed COVID-19 free. We all know this human body is a marvellous thing and uh, it's quite well constructed, um, in the main at least. There are some dodgy parts. Um, and in, in the case of the brain, there's a protective membrane to keep foreign agents and objects out. And that's usually a good thing, of course. However, when it comes to drug delivery, uh, surmounting this so-called blood-brain barrier presents a bit of a problem. So this leads us to the ASX-listed Patris, which has been beavering away on drugs to deliver the active ingredients to the central nervous system more effectively. Uh, in particular, Patris is focused on glioblastoma, which is brain cancer, and brain metastases resulting from certain types of uh, breast cancer, uh, I've got with me uh, the company's CEO, Dr. James Campbell. Hi, James. Hey, Tim. How are you doing? Great to, great to be with you, and thanks for the, the opportunity to talk. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. Um, just before I sort of get onto the company, um, just, just in the current climate uh, with the uh, uh, ASX-listed biotech sector, uh, how many drug developers do you think will be left uh, at the end of this uh market route? How, how sort of robust or otherwise do you, do you see the sector and its ability to survive? Well, uh, obviously, it's a, a, an interesting time, Tim. And, and, and obviously, we're looking at two different sorts of crises. There's a health crisis and there's a, a financial crisis. And, and, and all I can, I can talk about is, is experience going through the, the financial crisis. I was the, the COO of a, a listed company, Chemgenics, that went through the, the GFC. Um, and and whilst there will be a lot of pressure on a lot of companies, I, I think the important thing is um, we need to remember the crisis will pass and there will always be a need for, for innovative therapies for diseases, um, particularly for diseases like cancer. Um, what, what, what would I say about the industry? Um, yes, perhaps some players will, will fall by the wayside. Um, I think there are a whole heap of very interesting things that we will see uh, uh, driven by, uh, a, I would say, an increased interest in, in novel technologies. Um, and, and ways to fight disease, particularly if, if we think about the exchange rate. Um, I think some Australian tech, Australian technologies and Australian companies are, are going to be pretty attractive for, for partners over the coming uh, 18 months or so. Yeah, okay. Uh, you mentioned Chemgenics. I mean, I guess that's a good omen in a way. It's, it survived the GFC, and from memory it was uh, taken over for um, uh, at, uh, at quite a decent uh, uh, premium or, or amount. Yeah, that's right. I, I was very fortunate early in my career. I, I worked with Greg Collier at Chemgenics for, for about 10 years um, and we, we came through the GFC. Um, a, a fantastic learning experience. We, we bought an asset for $14 million. Uh, we uh, raised $70 million over the course of seven years. Uh, we completed two registration-directed trials uh, in a, a form of a very difficult-to-treat uh, leukaemia called chronic myeloid leukaemia. 
um, and eventually sold the company for for two hundred and thirty million bucks, um, which was you know, one of the one of the success stories of a of Australian biotech in in the early years. So that was two thousand eleven. I think the the thing that people often forget about Chemgenics is that it did a whole heap of other things that were very very. Uh, attractive in, at the time. So people forget that Chemgenics brought in $20 million worth of, of investment from Merck uh, to fund platform technology and, and innovation. Uh, and, and people even forget that, that we did a deal with uh, European Hospira. We sold the European rights of our drug uh, to Hospira for about $18 million. So, so deal making was uh, firmly embedded in the DNA of, of Chemgenics. Uh, and, and I think that as, as we move into this next phase, uh, post post COVID-19, um, we're going to need people to be dynamic and nimble um, and apply the, the sorts of mindsets that, that make for good science to, to our, our business decision making. Okay, great. And before uh, we talk about uh, your commercialisation strategy, uh, perhaps you better run through your lead drug candidate and, uh, of course, what it, uh, what it actually does. Um, it's a, a DNA damage repair antibody, if I've got that right. Well, that's kind of right here, Tim. So, I'll so right. I'll we're, <laughs> I'll take we're, develop- <laughs> yeah. we're developing an asset called called Pat DX One, which is a, a an antibody or an antibody fragment, uh, which we originally licensed from Yale University uh, in the US in two thousand sixteen. Um, it's a very very interesting antibody. It, it behaves very differently to, to most antibodies that people are familiar with. But you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it does a range of things. It treats a range of different cancers uh, and has this unique ability to cross the blood-brain barrier and to treat uh, metastases in the brain or brain cancers, things like uh, glioblastoma, as you said. Um, in a nutshell, that's what it does. I'm, I'm happy to, to go along and, and push the detail on that if you'd like. But uh, essentially, an antibody uh, which treats a range of different cancers and crosses the blood-brain barrier. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it's the uh, it's a blood brain barrier crossover feature. Is that what sort of makes the um, uh, the molecule sort of different to uh, anything else on on market? So it's it's that's one part of it, um, and and I suppose we we focus on communicating that because it's a very very important unmet clinical need. Uh, the outcome for patients with brain metastases or, or brain cancers like glioblastoma is, is really quite poor uh, with an expected life expectancy of, a, of about uh, 15 months. So, so yes, the blood-brain barrier is an important thing. Uh, I suppose um, with, with the opportunity to talk more broadly, we could think about the other parts of, of DX1 and, and the platform of technologies around DX1 that make it attractive. So number one is the fact that it crosses the blood-brain barrier, and that's great. And, and we've seen really compelling results from a range of animal studies. And I'd reiterate that DX1 is a, is a discovery stage asset. We're not in the clinic yet. Uh, so the, the clinic, uh, we, we hope to get to the clinic by the, the middle of next year. Um, so the first is it crosses the, the blood-brain barrier. Um, secondly, it's got a very, very different mechanism of action. Um, so we're, we're familiar, people are familiar with, with terms like BRCA1 uh, or P10 or, or PARP. Uh, these are these are what's called the DDR or the DNA damage repair system, um, and it's it's a system that is innate, is, is in all of us, and and 
in everyday life, uh, all of us get damage to our DNA, a bit of a bit of sunburn or, or what have you, and, and we've got this system that goes around and fixes the damage to the DNA, and, and that's fantastic and very, very important. When we have cancer, effectively what we're trying to do is kill cancer cells, and the way that we kill cancer cells is by treating them so that the DNA gets damaged. So we have a, a, a totally opposite approach to our considerations of the DDR system. In normal healthy tissues, the DDR system is really important. In cancer, in cancer systems where we're trying to damage the DNA to kill the cancer cells, all of a sudden the DDR system becomes, uh, in a way, an enemy of what we're trying to do. If we use radiation therapy to kill cancer cells, and then all of a sudden the innate repair systems start repairing it, that's really not an outcome that we want. So PAT-DX1 has the ability to uh, get in there and stop the DDR system from working. And that's why we see it working in a range of cancers where the DDR system is impaired or working really well in combination with things like radiation therapy. And some of the data we've got uh, shows that, that DX1 works really well with low-dose radiation. Okay, so it's got some effect you want to, uh, to turn off the... Uh the damage repair mechanism in the case of unhealthy cells, which sounds sort of counterintuitive, doesn't it? it exactly right, Tim. And, and, and it's, it's something that takes people a, a bit of time to get their head around. But there's a, a really interesting precedent. There was a, a class of drugs that was first approved in 2014 called the PARP inhibitors, and that's exactly what they do. PARP inhibitors are small molecules rather than antibodies, but they have been approved uh, specifically for cancers with these DDR problems. Uh, so... so uh, with uh, BRCA mutations in particular. And since launch in about 2014, they've become you know, a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar class of drugs. So really what we're saying is that we've got an antibody that, that works pretty much like a PARP inhibitor. And, and uh, the industry knows that antibodies generally are, are better tolerated than small molecules. So we think we've got a, a really attractive angle from a, a mechanism of action point of view. Um, so we talked before about what are the things that make DX1 unique? Mechanism of action is one. Crossing the blood-brain barrier is one. Uh, combination with things like radiation is the third one. The, the last thing I'd say is that uh, DX1, we can attach things to it. So we can attach nanoparticles. You can, you can get small molecule drugs inside the nanoparticles, and it will still cross the blood-brain barrier. So it's a, a really unique way of getting drugs which... Uh, previously, people have been unable to get into the brain, um, into the brain environment. So we're really excited about that application too. Sure. Okay. So, so you're a platform uh, to uh, to take all sorts of cargoes, uh, drug drug cargoes over this um, over this barrier. Yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Terrific. Now you mentioned you're hoping to get to the clinic. You're in animal stage now, which means uh, basically. Uh, my studies, uh, I presume. Um, what will a, uh, a clinical trial uh, entail at, at this stage? Well, I mean, obviously, you, you know, the, the first thing we do is a, a safety study, um, and a, a phase one safety study in uh, for, for cancer therapies generally is in cancer patients. Um, that's what we'll be looking at. Uh, our plan at the moment is to do the phase one here in Australia. Um, and the, the number of patients there will, will be sort of between... 12 and, and 20, we're, we're working on the design at the moment. Yeah. Okay. We'd, be, we'd be hoping for a readout on that in, in mid-2022. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, and so looking a bit further beyond that, uh, what's your commercialisation approach? Um, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned partnerships uh, before. Um, presumably it's all a bit too early now. That is, uh, 
that what that it sounds like that that's what you might be eyeing. Uh, yeah, uh, look, we, we I, I think what's important, Tim, is that you you manage your company as as if you are uh, going to progress a drug all the way through to to, to registration. Um, but when we look at the tr- sorry, and, and that's certainly what we do. Um, when you look at the industry trends, um, if you look at the deals that have been done over the last three years, over the last five years, over the last ten years uh, in cancer, um, biologics generally, um, and the number varies between about sixty percent and sixty-seven percent, but biologics generally get transacted or, or have licensing deals um, before they get into the clinic. Uh, so, so we are planning on getting into the clinic and, and doing what we need to do. Um, I've been in this industry a long time. I, I know what needs to be done to get a drug approved. But certainly when we look at the industry averages, there's a, there's a whole heap of data that would suggest um, that if this is a, an interesting asset, uh, then, then potentially it will get taken out before it gets to the clinic. Yeah, okay, okay. But it's, it's always a balancing act, isn't it, to... Uh to weigh up uh, an early stage partnership um, with lower rewards and uh, a, a later one with, uh, you know, higher rewards, you've got to, you, you've got to last a distance. So it's, um... Well, ex- exactly right. And, and it comes down to, to an evaluation of uh, risk and reward and, and, and frankly, the appetite um, and the fatigue of, of investors. So, so that's something that our board would be considering um, you know, with, with a great deal of depth. Yeah, yeah, okay. And, and, and James, in a, uh, at, a, at a regulatory level, um, uh, you're eyeing a IND, which is an investigational new drug application. Uh, is, is that with the US uh, authorities, the, uh, the FDA? Oh. Look, in, in the first instant, Tim, no, as we'll be doing our phase one in Australia, the, it's, it's yeah, the, the equivalent, the Australian equivalent of, of an IND. Um, so we'd be in the situation then that when we filed an IND with the FDA that we would have human data, which obviously would make it a much stronger uh, dossier. Yeah, okay, okay, all right. And uh, do you think your end game is to uh, be acquired, Kim uh, Chemgenics? Uh, look... Again, it comes down to to what the board think is is the right thing for the shareholders and what the shareholder appetite is. Um, I think there is always uh, an evaluation of um, who should own risk, um, and I think biotech companies, uh, particularly in the in the discovery stage, are really good owners of risk. Um, they're nimble, they can move quickly, they can be dynamic, they can respond to emergent industry trends. Certainly, much better than than pharma companies can, um, but. When, when you look at uh, the capital required for, for large uh, clinical trials, then, then one would suggest that you know, perhaps, perhaps uh, pharma companies are, are the appropriate holders of that risk. Mm, mm. Okay, okay. And so, so in the meantime, uh, cash is king, I, uh, I guess. Your, your accounts show you've uh, got uh, cash of $5.5 million. Uh, That was as of last December. Do, do, do you think you, you need to raise funds? Um, you uh, mentioned uh, that you're a uh, virtual company, uh, which uh, implies that you can run on the smell of an oily rag. Uh, yeah, and, and I'd say that the the experience of having been in Chemgenics through the through the GFC has probably reinforced to me how how important it is to run a, run a very tight ship. Um, look, as we certainly a race isn't on our agenda at the moment. Um, we have enough money to to see us a, a long, long way. Uh, in fact. Uh, like, like many of my peers, I've been having a good look at my budget over the last uh, couple of weeks and, and certainly we feel really relaxed about where we are. Sorry, not relaxed. We, we are very comfortable with where we are. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sort of a alert, but not alarmed, perhaps. Indeed, and 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 that's the the the, the beauty of being a, a virtual company is that you can um, dial things up or dial things down uh, as as needs. Uh, and really, we have the, the ability to, to do a range of smaller pieces of work that really build out our BD uh, portfolio um, and, and really answer some of the questions that, that a big farmer would be asking of us quite cost effectively. Now, should you, uh, if you do need funds uh, at some stage, um, you've got some interesting shareholders, haven't you? Um, Kerry Stokes is, uh, is on the register and He's a, he's a household name. Um, I think I think Kerry likes to, to dabble in a bit of uh, uh, a bit of biotech. Uh, so is he is uh, he sort of been a long term supporter? Uh, look, the the, the Stokeses uh, came in uh, about two years ago. Uh, they're both very very uh, passionate supporters of, of R and D, particularly in in Western Australia. Um, very very interested as, as shareholders go. But we've got a range of, of very uh, long term supporters, uh, substantial supporters who are really committed to what we're doing and, and uh, believe obviously in the financial upside of, of what Patris is doing, um, but certainly believe in the the benefit to patients. And um, as as I said, we we're, we're trying to develop a medicine that will treat a range of brain cancers um, and a range of, of non-brain cancers that are really, really poorly served. So it's always the, the tension, I think, with biotech companies. We're, we're here to, to you know, give, give our shareholders an internal investment. It's just that some shareholders have uh, think are solely in, in terms of financial return, and other shareholders think terms in, in terms of, of non-financial returns. Um, we're here for financial returns, but um, the broader application of technology, I think, is, is something really interesting. Yes, well, I imagine that uh, Kerry Stokes doesn't really need the uh, need the money, um, even uh, even even after the downturn. Um, so, uh, as as you say, there are there are various motives. Um, the the other um, the other interesting holder you've got, I think, is your biggest holder, um, is a fellow called uh, Doctor Dax Marcus Calder, who's a, a Perth periodontist of, uh, of all things. Yes, indeed. And Dax is, a, again, a long-term shareholder, um, really, really passionate supporter. He's been over to, to visit our inventor uh, at Yale. Um, Dax has a, a, a very deep understanding of immunology um, and certainly asks some, some very, very learned questions of, of me and the team. Um, I, I think it's great. It's, it's fantastic to have people who understand what you're doing and, again, understand the broader implications of, of why we do what we do. Is he on the board? I know. No, okay, okay. Uh, when did you list, by the way? Uh, look, Patris is, was listed in 2007 uh, and listed uh, as, as, as a cancer antibody company but really progressing a different asset. Uh, so a, a class of antibodies called IgMs. Uh, and that, that project uh, around IgMs uh, really sort of hit some, some rocky phases in about uh, 2014, 2015. Uh, and I was brought in uh, in 2015 really to try and work out whether the company could get past those problems or whether it needed to, to bring in new technologies. Uh, so, so really we can think of the, the Patris uh, Mark One as, as a company that went from about 2007 to about 2015, and Patris Mark Two from from 2016 onwards. Um, that was a, a really interesting experience. Uh, we we reviewed about uh, 40 technologies from around the world uh, and found one that 
really resonated with our shareholders, uh, one that was complementary to the, the core capabilities of the organisation, uh, and certainly something that we thought we could build value into for the, the money and the resources that we had in the company at the time. And, and I, I'm really proud of the team um, and, and thankful for the support of the board that we've, we've really been able to do that. So, so James, despite the company's progress, the, the shares... Uh... The share price has been a bit uh, disappointing, hasn't it? Uh, so I presume some investors think the whole process is taking too long. Yeah, well, that, that's a, an interesting question, Tim, and, and it, it all comes down to personal preferences and, and personal opinions. Um, we all know that biotech is an industry that works in long time frames and, and you know, some considerable investments. Um, I'd say that, that certainly my informed shareholders and the, the people at the top of the register are really comfortable with the way we're tracking and, and they understand that the important job of the, the board and the management team is to build the value rather than to be focused on the share price. Um, and, and I endorse that, which is not to say that we're happy with where the share price is, but we know that as we build the value in this company, uh, the share price will eventually reflect that value. Um, we, we see share prices going up and down, uh, and that's not just something that happens in Patras. Uh, we see that all over the industry, and, and often the drivers of those share prices are things that, that can be only marginally related to the inherent value of those companies. And uh, finally, James, uh, Patras, uh, the name, uh, I take it, is Afrikaans, and, and, and it means uh, partridge. Now, is that at all uh, relevant? <laughs> <laughs> Great question, Tim, and, and uh, certainly not. Um, <laughs> so, so you, you actually you've illuminated me on where the name came from. I have never I've never known that. Um, sadly, my, my Afrikaans is lacking, um, but uh, I, I will take that as as a little bit of learning for the day. So, thank you very much. On that um, on, on that note, uh, uh, James, um, thanks very much. Um, keep, keep strutting your stuff and. Um, uh, good luck with uh, breaching that uh, blood-brain barrier. So uh, all the best. Thanks, Tim. Great to talk to you.